Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. And you can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com. Or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us today and enjoy today's service. Let's thank the choir again for being with us this morning. Thank you, guys. I love it when they are here. I love it when they get to sing. They do that every, uh, every other week, and so they are quite a blessing uh, for us. Now, another blessing that happened over last week, we had an incredible week of ministry uh, last week, which is just all God and all the Holy Spirit's move in our church. So last Sunday after the 11 o'clock service, we had 85 people get baptized, which is awesome. Yes. And then uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday night, we had 51 middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, get baptized. So, yeah, God is doing some awesome stuff, and it is just so much fun to be a part of. Well, in November, we did this series called Any Questions. You guys might remember that. Uh, for those of you maybe that are new uh, to the church since that uh, particular series, that was a series where we talked about a lot of current events the first three weeks about the Middle East, the things that were happening uh, in, in current events that were prophesied years ago uh, that are happening right before our eyes. And then we talked about the rapture, we talked about the tribulation, we talked about heaven. And so when anytime I do a service like this, I always like to make sure that I give you guys some resources in case you don't know a lot about end times teaching. Uh, we've got some really good stuff. Uh, we have our science series. It's a curriculum that's in the bookstore. Uh, you can grab that. It's a digital copy of video recording as well as a workbook. Um, and then also you can get DVDs if you want it. And then of course you can make reference back to any questions uh, as well but want to make sure that we don't we talk about things and then it just causes you to have a bunch more questions and you can't get answers so please uh, uh, take advantage of that it's 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 some really good stuff now this morning we're going to talk about a certain section in end times prophecy that we didn't get to really talk about in any of those series we didn't spend much time with it because we know we're not going to be here for it but that is talking about the different uh, judgments and wraths that are going to come during that seven year period and this morning I'm talking about hope okay so I know we're it's a stretch but uh, we're gonna get there but we're starting a new series this morning called unleash and it's gonna be incredible for the next uh, four or five weeks we're gonna be talking about different things that we want to unleash in our life and this morning we're gonna be talking about unleashing hope which we all need especially with the things that are going on around us we need hope. Now I'm going to start talking, or start, uh, start with a scripture this morning in John chapter 18, verse 28. Now this is a passage of scripture written by the apostle John, and it takes place as far as in the timeline, the, script, uh, the uh, scriptural timeline, right before Jesus is crucified and then resurre resurrected. The Bible says, then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? So the Jews are pushing for Jesus to be crucified. They bring him before a Roman official. 
The Bible says in verse 30, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus knew not only that he was going to die for us, but he knew the kind of death he was going to die, which is even more incredible when you think about uh, the reality of that in his life. Then verse 33 says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? They just asked him. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you, are, are you to be king of this, world, of this world? Verse 34, is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? I, am I a Jew, Pilate replied, or your own people and chief priests handed you over to me? What is it, to, what is it you have done? So Pilate, as a Roman, is going, your people bring it, are bringing you to me. I don't know what you've done. They're, they're wanting your head here. Help me out a little bit. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, sometimes we think, well, Jesus, you know, he's the king of the, of the world. But right here he says, I'm not the king of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. In other words, if his kingdom was there, they wouldn't be able to arrest him. But now my kingdom is from another place. So he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Right now, it's in another place. Now, of course, the scripture has already happened. John writes of Jesus' story, but several decades, writes about what's happening, but several decades later, John has a vision of what is to come. And he writes these visions down in the book of Revelation. So a vision of the fulfillment of, of the scripture we just wrote about. This is fascinating because John writes this scripture about Jesus' life, writes about this encounter between Jesus and Pilate, writes down that Jesus says that I'm not the king of this land, I'm the king of, uh, of another world. And then, decades later, he fulfills the prophecy about what he wrote about in his book or his gospel. John in Revelation chapter 6 is writing of the events that will happen during the tribulation. He sees a vision of the future where Jesus is enrolling a scroll and seals are being broken which unleash God's wrath on the earth. So you go into the book of Revelation, we see Jesus and he has this, this scroll. Now we know for you to be able to read a scroll, you have to unroll it. And as he's unrolling this scroll, there are different seals. Now, we don't know exactly what kind of seal they are, but it probably is similar to the seals that you see in, in movies about Rome. And, and you know, they, they, they have this uh, uh, wax that they melt, and then they, they have this little symbol that they, they stamp on that, and it seals the letter. So most likely it's something like that. So as he unrolls this scroll, it cracks these different seals that unleash the wrath of God. Now, I've had people, and you've probably heard this before, the argument against Christianity, the argument against God. If God is a loving God, then, then how can he bring about wrath? If he's a loving God, then, then how can he, he judge people? How, how can there be, be wrath in a, in a loving God? Well, when you look at the definition of wrath, it kind of explains it. God's righteous anger is what wrath is. God's righteous anger, which is, means that it's warranted and that there's nothing wrong with it. His divine indignation and just punishment in response to human sin. So in other words, those people that are under God's wrath, 
have brought this upon themselves. Now, there's been many times in Scripture and in history where God has had to unleash wrath because of somebody's sin or a group of people's sin. We see it in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah is this city, and it's evil, and it's corrupt, and it's to the point where it's so pagan, so awful, and such awful things are happening in this city that God says, you know what? I'm done. I'm wiping this city off the face of the earth because there's no hope for them. They're not going to get any better. They're only going to get worse. And if I let this continue, their influence is just going to hurt those that are innocent. So he says to, to, to Lot, get your family out. When you get your family out, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that was just a city. We know from Noah's story that God's wrath was upon the entire earth. So in that particular situation, he could only find one family that loved him, only one family that was righteous. The whole world was corrupt. The whole world was absolutely pagan and filthy. And he looked at the world and said, there's no hope. There's no hope. I've got to start over. I only have one family that is living for me. I have to start over. So his wrath destroys the whole world. And we're going to see this happen again in the future with Revelation. The tribulation. These seals that are going to be opened and broken. These seals and judgments, this wrath that is going to come. Now the beautiful thing for us is that we'll be saved from wrath. We're going to be saved from wrath. We won't have to go through it. We talked about the rapture in week four of, of any questions. Rapture is a time where it's, it's an event that is going to happen where it pulls the Christians, those that believe in Jesus, up into heaven so we don't have to go through the tribulation. In the same way that God rescued Lot from the wrath of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he rescued Noah and his family from the wrath or judgment of the flooding of the world, he's going to rescue us with the rapture of the church or those that believe in Jesus so we won't have to go through those judgments. Now, we know this from several different scriptures, but one in particular, Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 9 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, forgiven, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So he's saying, you believe in Jesus, then you've escaped wrath. Another version of the Bible says that we are not children of wrath. So we're not going to be here for any of the things that I'm going to be talking about this morning, which is awesome. Praise God. That is an awesome thing. You don't want to go through the tribulation. I promise it's not going to be a good thing. Now back to our scripture in Revelation. John writes about seeing Jesus open these seals on a scroll in chapter 6 of Revelation, starting with verses 1 and 2. And the first seal that is broken describes the Antichrist arriving on the scene. And he comes as a white horse. Now, I, for, most, for a lot of us, we've heard about the four horses of the apocalypse. And we've usually heard about them through movies or some type of literature. Even the movie Tombstone talks about the four horses of the apocalypse, especially the pale horse. But most of the time when it's done in movies or it's done in literature, it's done for dramatic effect. It's not scriptural and it's not in context. So in this scripture, we have to understand what that first seal brings. And that is this unveiling of the Antichrist. 
this human being that is going to have Lucifer living within him and controlling the earth. That is the first seal that's broken. Now, we, we know that that first seal is going to happen pretty early in the tribulation period uh, because we know that the Antichrist is the one that brokers this peace deal between Israel and all of her enemies. He's going to bring about peace. So this first seal is the Antichrist coming on the scene. The second seal, verse 3 and 4, describes the second seal, which is the red horse, which indicates bloodshed. The rider will take peace from the earth. Now, we don't really know in chronological order, uh, we know in chronological order if these events are going to happen, but as far as exactly on the timeline, we're not sure. Because when the Antichrist comes on the scene in the tribulation, he is going to bring about peace. And people are going to be looking for that. I mean, the rapture is going to happen. The world is going to be an absolute mess. And he's going to come and he's going to have all the answers. And he is going to look so good to the people that he's going to look as if he is the Messiah. As if he might be a God. He's so intelligent. He's doing such great and masterful things. But he, he's who, he is who we need to follow. But just a short time later, and we don't know if that short time is a year, two years, maybe closer to the middle of the tribulation, this second seal is broken and that peace is gone. Then he opens the third seal, verses 5 and 6, which is the black horse, which affects the economy on a global scale, as well as crop failures, famine, and hunger. Now, a lot of scholars believe that this might happen uh, maybe towards the middle of the tribulation or late late uh, beginning of the tribulation, which is the first three and a half years, because he'll probably use that famine to force people to get the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast is a mark that a person will have to receive to be able to get food to be able to to do business they'll have to have this mark which is an allegiance to the antichrist that's the third seal the fourth seal is in verses seven seven and eight and this is the pale horse which represents death and in this seal a quarter of the world's population will die quarter of the world's population now, there was some conspiracy theorists when uh, COVID happened that, that said, hey, this is the, this is the fourth seal. We're, we're already in the tribulation. This is going to be massive world death. Well, the, the fourth seal is going to kill almost 2 billion people, which COVID didn't come anywhere near that. The last major uh, a plague that hit the earth was the uh, Spanish flu in the early 1900s, and it killed 500 million, which is a lot, which is devastating, right, to the planet. But this is almost two billion. So there are seven seals revealing seven judgments. Seven judgments. The last seal ushers in seven more judgments called trumpet judgments. So that's seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments. Then the seventh trumpet judgment will usher in seven more judgments called bowl judgments, which unleash the wrath of God until the end of the tribulation. Now, anytime I speak about uh, end times, I always use a timeline, so I want to go ahead and put a timeline up, and then each time we teach it, we add different events to that timeline just so we can kind of get an understanding of what is to come. The next major prophetical event, which we've talked about over and over again, is the rapture of the church. This is where those that know Jesus will be taken up with Jesus to avoid the tribulation. We believe that that first seal's got to be broken early in the tribulation because that's what announce, announces the, the Antichrist. But as we move through the tribulation, we understand that the first three and a half years, are, there's going to be bad stuff happen, but nothing in comparison to the last three and a half years. The middle of that tribulation marks the desecration of the temple. 
This is where the Antichrist is going to go into the temple. He's going to command people then to worship him. He's going to say that he is God. And then from that point, these other seals are going to happen or these other judgments are going to be released. So we don't really know exactly where they're going to happen in the timeline, but we know that there's 21 of them, each one getting worse and worse to the point where the final uh, bold judgment will be open. That will happen right before the second coming of Christ, uh, the battle of Armageddon, and the thousand-year reign. So that, that's the timeline. So after, now we're going to catch up where we are in Scripture. After the seven seals, and at the end of the seven trumpet judgments, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 11. Verse 15. The Bible says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. This is the seventh trumpet judgment. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of the Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. This is the point where Jesus tells of the bringing of the two kingdoms together to rule over both. So before, he was just ruler over the heavens. He wasn't ruler over the earth. But in this scripture, now he says, no, 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 no. I rule both. I am now the ruler of both. In Revelation 19, it shows us a picture of what will be happening in heaven while this is happening. Because you see, we can see in pretty great detail how bad it's going to be on earth. We can see all of these judgments happening, all, of these ra- all this wrath that's being unleashed. We can get a pretty good picture of what's going to happen with the Antichrist and, and his false prophet, all of those things. But what is happening in heaven? When God brings together the two kingdoms The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the earth for Jesus to rule. Well, it says in Revelations 19.5 what what actually is going to be happening in heaven. And a voice came from the throne throne saying, Praise our God, all uh, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard a sound, uh, what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud, which the NLT describes, describes as a crash, of thunder shouting hallelujah imagine hallelujah being shouted so loudly that it sounds like thunder a crash of lightning for our lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory now understand this is for those that are saved it's not saying here for us to be sad and to mourn and to be scared to be to be fearful no it's saying rejoice The kingdoms have come together. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, said to John, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. You see, when you believe in Christ, you receive an invitation to this wedding. In fact, you are a part of the wedding party because at that moment, when you receive Christ, you become a part of the bride. Now think about that for a second. Think about when you were getting ready to be married. 
Now, for some of you, you haven't gotten married yet, so y- you may be anticipating that day. You may have dreams of that day. Or maybe, maybe you're single, and Paul says that there is a gift of singleness, and some people are just called to be single, and you're fine with that. But if you have looked forward to being married, ladies, if you've looked forward to being a bride, you've looked forward to that probably most of your life. You've known when that day comes, you're going to be princess for the day, right? You, get it. you take time picking out the wedding dress. You take time going out over the invitation list and, and who's going to be there. You pick the venue for the wedding and, and who you want to do the wedding, who you want to stand up with you, your friends, those that are the closest to you, your family, the ones that you love. Then you pick the, the reception venue. You, you pick the food. You, you pick out the cake, right? You, you think about, okay, m- maybe you have a dance. Maybe you have a, maybe you have a, a, a DJ or a band. And, and you cannot wait for that day to come. Because it, it's your wedding. This is the beginning of a beautiful chapter in your life. Now, guys, well, let's be honest. We're looking forward to the wedding for a whole other reason, okay? But... We look forward to it, too. You're catching. You're getting where I'm going. Okay. But the truth is, we can't wait either. That's good. It's awesome. It's a great day of celebration. It's going to be so much fun. Now, I want you to think about the coolest wedding celebration you've ever been to. Because it might not have been your own. I mean, it might not have been. Maybe the, your wedding didn't work out quite the way you wanted to. And, and so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't what you had planned. But you've gone to some weddings and some receptions since that were awesome. Okay, so I think about the, the coolest wedding, the coolest reception I've ever been to. It was my niece and nephews. It was an outdoor venue. They had the most surreal weather. They had these beautiful canopy tents. They had a DJ that was awesome. They had incredible food. We did not want to leave. We danced until, you know, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. We had so much fun. Now, maybe you've experienced one like that. I'm not talking about a wedding where you're looking at your watch going, can we leave now? Can we leave now? No, this is one you want to stay at. This is one you go, oh, I don't want this to end. Now, multiply that times infinity, and that's the wedding celebration that we're going to have with our groom. That's the wedding celebration that's going to be happening. And it's going to happen for seven years. It's a seven-year, like a Jewish celebration for their weddings, it's a seven-year wedding celebration. And then they related over to seven days in the Jewish culture. But seven years, we're going to be partying with Jesus. And think about that reception. The wedding's going to be awesome. But think about the reception. You're going to be able to go and see all these different people that you haven't seen in so long that also knew Jesus. You're going to be able to see grandparents and great-grandparents. You're going to be able to talk about lineage and, and things that you never even knew about. It's going to be so interesting. And then you're going to be able to go to the people that maybe you admired in history. Maybe you're going to go over to Abraham Lincoln and go, man, that Civil War stuff, that was heavy. Man, I don't know how you got, I don't know how you got through that. Maybe you would want to go to see different characters in the Bible and you want to talk to Moses and say, what was it like when the Red Sea opened? I mean, we, I can't even imagine or Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or, 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 or maybe David, King David. I mean, I, I want to sit down with King David. It's, it's just so relatable, right? That's that wedding celebration. You might go, seven years, that's a long time. I don't know if I, I, don't know, I, don't know if I can handle that. But no, 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 no. Let me understand. It's going to go by like this. It's going to be so incredible. Time is going to fly. And it's going to be the most incredible celebration that we've ever been a part of. And that's what we have to look forward to. 
the earth will be going to hell, we will be in heaven, and we will be celebrating, we will be celebrating our union with Jesus. So as things get crazier here on earth, we should get more excited. Because this means the wedding party is getting closer and closer. Skip Heilig, who's a guy that I, I love listening to, he's a pastor in Albuquerque, he said, the promise of the future kingdom will help you endure the present crisis. So whatever we're going through, we have this to look forward to. We have this on the horizon. But are, what are some keys to hope as we finish up this morning? What can we do to make sure that we stay hopeful and not allow our mind to go down the wrong path? Well, the first thing is we have to keep our eyes on the horizon, not on where we are or where we've been. Keep our eyes on the horizon. Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a key verse for many people. That's like their favorite verse. That's their life verse. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. His plans for you are a hope and a future. Not too long ago, I woke up and I was praying and I was just like, you know, going through my day and my mind and praying for different things. And I felt like the Lord prompted me to pray that God would help me keep my eyes on the future and not go to the past. And I was like, well, okay, God, just help me with that. Help, help me that I wouldn't allow my mind to go backwards, that, that I would stay thinking forward and looking forward to what is to come. And so I prayed those things, and that very day I had some things happen to me that made me go back in my thought life. Made me go back to some past hurts, made me go back to pains, made me go back to a dark time of my life. And I know now why God told me, pray that you will keep your eyes on the future. He was warning me about what was to come. He wants us to keep our eyes on the future. God, you have to understand, is not concerned about our past. He does not care about your past, your failures, your mess-ups, your sins. He's only concerned about your future. That's what he's concerned about. Don't let your past defeat or steal your hope. In fact, you know what? The only time it's okay to look back is when you want to look back and go, wow, look at the things God has done for me. Or maybe you want to look back nostalgic and go, do you remember how much fun that was? Oh, that was such great times. If you look back and it brings about hope and joy, go there. If it doesn't, don't return. Keep your eyes on the future. Secondly, stay plugged into the message of hope. I hope you're having your coffee with God. I hope you're reading scripture. I hope you're worshiping. I hope you have really good uh, playlists on your, on your worship uh, station for, for, for whatever uh, format you use when you listen to worship. Hopefully you're listening to good podcasts. There are so many great podcasts out there, so many great Bible teachers, so many inspirational things that you can be listening to. I hope you're listening to those things because they will spur on hope in all of us, but we need to stay away from bad media. We need to stay away from gloom and doom. We need to stay away from conspiracy theory stuff. Now here's the thing about conspiracy theories. A lot of times some of those theories come true. But if we're not careful, we get so into conspiracy theory stuff that it steals our joy. It can steal our hope. And here's the thing. If you are just dive into that and it starts to consume you, know this. That you're driving the people around you crazy. Okay? Just know that. Know that. So certain amount of that might be okay but take it in small doses because if we're not careful what we know 
is a lot of conspiracy stuff is driven by fear. And fear steals hope. It steals hope. And we need hope. We don't need fear in our lives. Number three, put your trust in God and not in man. Psalms 118 most likely was written by David. And he says, when hard-pressed, I cried out to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. So when things hit David and it were, they were hurtful, he would cry out, God help me. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So he understands. I, I serve God. God loves me. God protects me. What's man going to do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look and triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So he's saying here, don't put your trust in man. Don't put your trust in government leaders. Don't, don't, don't put your trust in them because they will fail you. They're just people. They're just humans. Put your trust in God who will never fail you, who's walked with you through all the storms of your life and is going to continue to walk with you in the storms of the future. And then fourth, ask God to fill you with hope daily. God's a giver of hope. All we have to do is ask for it. When we're down, when we're struggling, he's only a prayer away. When we feel dark, when we feel depressed, when we feel like, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, ask for hope. God, give me hope. I need hope right now. I need, I need light at the end of the tunnel. You've got to come through for me. And he'll never fail you. Now, when we look at this, we look at these scriptures, we look at prophecy, we have to understand that God gave that to us, not to scare us. He didn't want to scare Christians. He does it to give us, not to give us a spirit of fear. Scripture says that too, right? It does not come to give us a spirit of fear. But he gives us this prophecy to motivate us to win people to the Lord. To motivate us to tell others about Jesus that we love. That, that we don't want to go through that seven years of tribulation or however long they would even make it. And then he also does it because he wants to give us a picture of what he saved us from. Now, in knowing this, I want to close the service today with us making sure that everybody in this room and everybody that's watching gets an invitation to the wedding, right? And I want to have a massive fellowship church table at this reception, right? Yes. And I want it to be filled with the people that you love, the people that we love, the people we want to see in heaven. But we need to make sure that you have an invitation. So what I want to do is I want to just pray a simple salvation prayer. And whether you're here live with us or you're watching from home, if you'll just repeat after me, and let's get this invitation thing locked in. Dear Jesus, I ask right now, that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you are who you say you are. I want to live my life for you. Guide me every step I take. Thank you for saving me. And I'll see you soon. In Jesus' name.
So that's the first part. Now I want to take this second part and I just want you to take a second. I want you to think of people that you know that don't know him. Who is that? Probably didn't take long for you to think of that person. Now I know it can be scary, right? It can be scary to share your faith. It can be scary to, to lead somebody to the Lord and you, don't, you want to make sure you don't miss anything. And so there's some fear and the apprehension when it comes to that. So just recently, I had somebody that's super special to me that wanted to make sure that their 80-year-old grandfather who was facing a big surgery, he wanted to make sure that he was saved. He knew he wasn't, but he wanted to make sure he was before he went through this life-altering event. And so he knew he was the one that was supposed to do it, and so he went out, he went out the first day, and I told him, I said, man, pray for timing, pray that God would get him ready, pray that God would soften his heart, pray that God would give you the words. And so he went out the first day, and it was, he, he knew, he knew it was not the right time, he knew the right people were not, were, were, were the wrong people were in the room for this decision to be made, so he didn't press it. But then he went out the next day, and it was just him and his grandpa. And he talked to him, and he said, you know, Grandpa, I know that there was a time you went to church, there was a time you said you believed in God, but I know you've never received Jesus. And where we're standing, and it was very sentimental where they were at, he's like, this is the perfect time for us to do this. Will you allow me to help you ask Jesus into your heart? And with tears in his eyes, he said yes. And then it was so beautiful because... This grandson, he goes, now look, I don't really know how to do this, so I'm going to Google it. <laughs> so he got out his phone, and he Googled a salvation prayer. Guys, if you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. Google it. Just make sure you Google a Christian prayer, and it's not something crazy, okay? <laughs> and so he led his 80-year-old grandfather to the Lord. God wants to do that for you too. There's somebody you've been praying for for a long time. You want them to be at this wedding. So pray for them right now. I'm just going to give you a second. I want you to pray for them. Maybe it's more than one. Pray that God would put somebody in their life that has influence that they'll listen to. Because it may not be you. Pray that God would give you the words or them the words. And pray that God would soften their hearts to make this decision. God, we have so many people in our life that we love and we want to make sure that they're there with us in heaven. So we cover them with prayer. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you begin to call them right now to you. And I pray, Lord, that you cultivate their hearts to hear this message and then plant the right person in their lives. And it may be us Give us the words to say when that time comes.
perfect timing, God, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help it to happen. I pray, Lord God, that this would lead us into the last great revival. We'd see millions saved as a result of your move. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If this was your first time experiencing fellowship, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.